The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Discover a new relationship and approach to life through the space between. Join spiritual teacher Brittany Mondito for a moment of silence, a weekend workshop May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York. Everything we're searching for lies behind what we're running from, Brittany says. Reconnect with your inner sense of safety, grounding, and centeredness. Learn more today at eomega.org slash thrive. Thanks for joining us. This is Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Discover hope and healing from the other side. Welcome to Messages of Hope with Suzanne Giesman. Listen, they're all around you, close as a thought or a memory. Messages of Hope. Messages of Hope. Well, hi, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Messages of Hope. We've been focusing a lot lately on people who've had near-death experiences, communicating with loved ones across the veil. But, you know, the way I came to know that there is a greater reality was after my stepdaughter Susan passed, I just somehow knew that if she still existed, I needed to learn to connect with her myself. And I had never in my life meditated But I decided I was going to start meditating, and that would open up my connection with her. That was my sole purpose. You could take that either way, S-O-U-L or S-O-L-E, of starting meditation. And I really had no training in it, and I just sat and was quiet. And I'll get to the bottom line of that. Meditation changed my life. It gave me so much more than finding Susan, which was my original goal. I discovered this greater reality. I discovered who we are. I discovered that meditation is the key and having that personal experience. So along the path that I've been on, I met two lovely people in my former community, the Villages, Florida, Jim and Nancy Thompson. And when they would come to my channeling sessions in the community, Nancy always asked me, do you mind if I hand out these um, flyers about this heartfulness meditation practice that is given here in the area. And I'm all for meditation. And I knew Jim and Nancy and I knew their hearts are in the right place. So I said, sure. And she would stand in front of this group of 200 people and get everybody's attention and pass out these, these flyers. So when I had a chance to attend a heartfulness meditation with a local practitioner, I did. And it was absolutely a beautiful practice. And so I thought, you know, there's so many ways to meditate. This one feels really good. So when Jim and Nancy sent me a copy of this book, The Heartfulness Way, I just was drawn into it, and I love the feel of it. And I am thrilled today to have the co-author of that book, Joshua Pollock. So Joshua, sorry about that long intro just about how this show today came to be. We want to talk a lot more about you, but let me just welcome you to the show. Thanks so much. And actually, I have to say that I was really fascinated to hear that intro because I didn't actually know how you how you found me to invite me to be on the show. And now I'm remembering back with a lot of fondness to a wonderful session I had there in the villages about two years ago when I came through. 
and we had a heartfulness meditation session. Some few hundred people came there as well. So uh, okay, so now I now I get it. Well, it, I'm telling you, the people in the villages were lucky to have you, and you must have been blown away to have a a community in the U.S. where you probably had at least a hundred people show up for that. Yeah, it was a standout. That's a standout memory, actually. Yeah, a lovely community there. So this book, The Heartfulness Way, became a bestseller. And in fact, uh, you got a nice endorsement on the cover by Sanjay Gupta, MD, who many people are familiar with, chief medical correspondent for CNN, who says it's a must read for anyone interested in incorporating meditation into their lifestyle. And what I love about this book is it's not just a how-to book. It's warm, it's friendly, it's inviting. And that's how you come across. That's how the... Well, I'll let you talk about Kamlesh Patel yourself, your your co-author, who's actually the spiritual leader of the Heartfulness Way. But let's back up a little bit and tell your story of how you got into this and what meditation did for you, okay? Yeah, sure. I mean, you know, since I was a small child, I'd say, there was some interest in meditation, some interest in spirituality. I won't say meditation because that's a very specific thing. That's a method, but it's it's a means, you know, to it's a means. And spirituality is the broader field, and I attribute that to my parents, my father especially, because he had a lot of books on the subject, and he had a lot of books on many subjects. But I was always attracted to these ones, to books on yoga, books on you know various religions and philosophies and so there was a degree of familiarity and wonder especially that was created in me from a young age and that eventually blossomed you know when I moved away from home I'm from Maine okay so not just Maine but kind of a remote part of you know northeastern Maine I love Maine (laughs) oh okay yeah (laughs) yeah me too so um Actually, I remembered when I was in the villages, I had to introduce myself. I said, I'm from Maine. And then some people from the ba- in the back were shouting out, me too. <laughs> but but I need to okay. tell everybody right now that, you know, yeah. we, we've talked about Florida and we've talked about Maine, but I'm so honored that you're talking with us now because you're actually, we're talking to you in India where it's yeah, nighttime. I'm in, yeah, I'm in New Delhi. I'm in New Delhi where it's 115 degrees. Ouch. <laughs> so anyway, so somehow I, you know, when I moved away from home, now all of a sudden there's a possibility of learning how to, you know, learning some of these methods, right? Mm-hmm. There wasn't that possibility, you know, in, in this small town. So I, I started and, and you know, I, I really, I didn't quite find what I was looking for because I, I, was, had, I had learned about a bunch of theory and I'd learned a bunch of philosophy. But, and, and that itself had convinced me. But now, if I put it into practice and tried meditating according to some of these techniques that I was learning, I didn't find that I was experiencing the kinds of shifts that I was hoping to experience. So, you know, it, it took a little time. And eventually I sort of came across, I remember actually, I, I don't think this is in the book, but one day I was, I came across a book, I think of Kabir, or perhaps it was Rumi, I think it was Kabir. And I was so inspired reading this poetry, this yeah. wonderful poetry. And something like a prayer, must I, I remember very clearly, something like a prayer sort of welled up inside me, some form of longing 
these poets, these poems of Kabir and also of Rumi are so filled with longing. And love, think, and just this love and, that yes. so often we don't touch here. Yeah. Yeah. And there was some resonance in me at that time, and I think it translated into my own sort of emotion. And, and I was in that state for the rest of the day. And the very next day is the day that I encountered heartfulness, I have to say. Mm. And that, that was in Cleveland, Ohio at the time. I just encountered heartfulness because I was just walking down the street. And uh, I just got in a chat with somebody outside a convenience store, really. Nothing else. I mean, it wasn't like they were how standing did, there waiting for How did that for... come up? How does that happen? <laughs> I, you know, it, it just happened. I mean, it, it, it just seemed like a normal thing. I mean, it was a small neighborhood. It was an Italian neighborhood. People were very friendly. People talked a lot there, you know? And kind of in that same spirit, I just started talking to somebody. But then after, you know, I don't know, maybe 10 minutes or something, Somehow, I don't remember how, but somehow meditation came up. And this person had just tried this heartfulness way kind of meditation. And so they were new to it too, but they had a good experience with it. And, you know, I was interested in, in trying it. So it took a little while, but eventually I met a trainer. I was very much encouraged. When I heard about trainers, that you, that you have to receive this method through a trainer, at first I was very discouraged. Because yeah, I was so I, I just want to interrupt right now and tell everybody listening, don't be discouraged. He's going to tell you how this works later. <laughs> yeah, no, I was, the reason I was discouraged is because I was impatient. I kind of was used to, you know, being able to open a book and try something, right? Yeah. Number one. And number two, as soon as I heard the word trainer, I thought this is some sort of financial transaction. And I realized very soon after that this method is freely shared. There's no fee associated with it. Yeah, and, uh, and in fact, resonated. I just I just looked at the back of your book. Neither you nor your co-author took any royalties from this book. It all goes right back into heartfulness. Um, yeah, that's true. So this, you know, there's a quote in the book. It, it says, uh, I think it's a book. Yeah, I have to tell you is a conversation between myself and my own guide, my teacher, and that's Kamlesh Patel. That's my co-author. So it's a lot of questions from me, and you know, this conversation keeps going and going. And there's one point where he quotes his own teacher. And he quotes his own teacher. He says, God is not for sale. And if God were for sale, and if you could afford to pay that fee, then why would you even need God? That's the question. Hmm. So that, you know, in one stroke, you can say that um, all of those you know, there's so much, yoga is a marketplace, spirituality is a marketplace. So real spirituality is not a marketplace. There's no transaction, because if it's a transaction, then it isn't about love anymore. It's not about the heart anymore. Now it's about, I'm doing something for you so you can do something for me, right? It's a negotiation. So, and real love between individuals is never a transaction either, right? So in that spirit, we have, we have, if that's the spirit of purity with which we have to approach one another in family relationships or in love relationships, then how much more purity is required when we approach the divine? So I think that if we go with any sort of ulterior motives, then, or, then it's not going to work. So therefore, such things have to be freely shared, you know, from one seeker to another seeker. We shall not discriminate and say this person is farther along on the path or this person is, has achieved greater heights 
because this path is infinite and we're all walking on this infinite path so then we're all together in a spirit of brother of brotherliness you know brotherhood and sisterhood yeah so tell me about the first time you tried heartfulness meditation well i was well like i said you know when i learned that this trainer who was local uh, in cleveland at the time this trainer was not accepting money then of course that means that he has a different profession right so i met him in he's an artist so i met him in his studio and there were so many pieces of so many artworks all over the place paintings and various kinds of things so we sat there amidst all of these paintings and he sat on one chair and i he had me invited me to sit across from him and he told me the method such a simple method and said and you know we'll, we'll meditate together and i found such profound change within myself from the beginning till the end i never i mean it was a new thing for me because I, I had meditated before as i've said yeah this and is this this is the stunning part just reading the introduction of the book that you wrote yourself by yourself um it it's one of those things that anybody that reads it says oh i want that you know you've been meditating for years you gave it up because it wasn't giving you what you wanted and just the very first time you tried this method you you had that experience that you'd been looking for the whole time a lot of people have that i know because i mean i'm a trainer myself but you know especially after this book came out i went on a book tour that's where i met all of your friends in, mm. in the villages right so i traveled i went to maybe 80 places in us and india and some other places and every single time i would make a point to conduct a meditation session because i think without that it's incomplete mm-hmm. and every single time people were having experiences like they'd never had before so i mean i know it already but when you keep having it reconfirmed to you over and over and over again you know then you can really see you really get convinced you know that yeah. that there's meditation and then there's meditation you know and this yeah. isn't to say i i'm not here to you know i didn't invent this method so i'm not here to boast about it but i'm also not here to say this is the only method this is the best method because this is a tendency that exists amongst followers of so many different types of practices and followers of all religions it's a very difficult human tendency when you find something that you're so excited about you have there's this tendency to say this is the best thing and then there's right. a tendency to become competitive you know mm-hmm. so this isn't this this is we we again i say we're here in a spirit of brotherhood we have something to offer and we have something to offer and so you know when you have a guest in your house you want to offer the very best thing that you have so this is the best thing that i can think of in life <laughs> so i'm trying to <laughs> beautiful. offer it's beautiful and and again I, i love this because you're not saying this is the one and the only way and we will spend the second half of the show talking about the method and but first i just am really enjoying your background here i think that our listeners will find very interesting what you what you do in your the other side of your life when you're not sharing meditation practices which you've done by the way with some major companies including Amazon, Google, Expedia, Oracle, Infosys, Microsoft, World Bank, I mean the list goes on, the United Nations headquarters, you've taught meditation in all these places. But tell us what else you do. Well, my background is I mean what I did from very young age about 4 or 5 is play classical music as a violinist. 
as a violinist yeah i've been the focus of my life pretty much for a majority of my life i'd have to say you know and and you know as i said teaching meditation that's not a career right that's something you do yeah career is something else you know profession is something else but i know as a musician you'd surely you'd agree that when you get really get into the flow with your music that in itself is like a meditation isn't it yeah i mean i think all of life anything can be meditation everything should be a meditation actually yeah it just i was just leaving through the book again and and here's a quote from the book page 96 when Kamlesh says, your life becomes a meditation, you see, a dynamic and ongoing one. It is meditation with open eyes. You're not seated in meditation, yet you are meditating. Would you just expand on that? How has life like become like a meditation once you get into this? So, you know, you have, uh, in the old days, not so long ago, when you turned on the ignition in your car, it was a key. Now it's a, generally a push button, right? Yeah. So you press the button, you turn on the ignition. Now, as you're driving along, you don't have to keep your finger there. You don't have to keep that button depressed huh. the entire time, right? Now you've started it, and it goes. Same way. That's what the act of meditation is. The act of meditation, where you sit, close your eyes, and perform this meditation for some period of time, whether it's a few minutes or an hour, however long. This act of meditation, which has a defined beginning and end is like depressing that button where you turn on the ignition right that calls that meditative state that creates a meditative state in you but now that meditative state ideally speaking should be there and should continue just as the car continues running ideally as you're driving down the highway so as you're going through your day you know that meditative state should continue to carry you as you go and the act of meditation is there to trigger it initially right? I love that. great so analogy. That, that's the idea otherwise there'd be no point to meditation really if it didn't do something in a sort of permanent way you could go into a meditative state for a few minutes and then you'd be back out again and what good has it done you really except giving you a few moments of relief it's like stopping at an oasis in the desert and then leaving and going back into the desert again you know yeah so that it's like that I would say and not just when you're with eyes open but ideally it should all it should be 24 hour thing even when you're asleep (laughs) I love it so I'm pretty sure that many of the listeners now will have not heard of heartfulness meditation yet just watching a few videos online you you see Kamlesh Patel the spiritual leader speaking before huge crowds and there and the views on youtube videos are hundreds of thousands of people who are followers of this now so it's a pretty big movement and in fact kamlesh patel is the fourth spiritual leader how does that lineage how did how long has it been around and how has the that lineage been passed down to four leaders mm-hmm. so it started the it started probably in the 1880s sometime in a very in a very unofficial way in northern india there was a, a young boy his name was ramchandra and he was probably eight or nine and what he discovered was that he was able to he was able to create a lot of 
a lot of transformation and and deep spiritual experiences in others. And though he was just a child, he was able to, to do this. And people on his street and people sort of in his town, they would start coming to him even when, when he was a child and just sit near him and they would find that they would benefit a lot just by being near him. And he got a little older and, you know, people started coming from farther away. And you see, the reason that he was able to create such an effect in people is because he, he didn't claim ownership over this. He says he rediscovered something called yogic transmission or pranabhuti. And I'll explain what that is in a minute. But using this, he was able to create these, uh, this, he was create this impact in people who came to meet him. Now, as he got older, you know, he eventually, you know, he had disciples. He probably didn't have a lot of disciples, but maybe a hundred or a few hundred. And he used to, I would say he would train, he would train people all different kinds of methods. To some people, he would give meditation. To other people, he would give mantra. He would give all kinds of methods according to people's, you know, um, their needs, we can say. But no matter what kind of method he gave them, the fundamental way that he was able to transform people was through this yogic transmission, which is something that he just rediscovered as a young boy. Now, I want to explain for a minute what this yogic transmission is. Okay. Right? I say he rediscovered it. The fact is that he said that this was the, a, a method of training that was prevalent thousands of years ago in ancient India. And in fact, if you look at some of these old Indian texts, right, Yoga Vashishta and various other things, you find references, not by name, but if you have understood this, if you have experienced transmission, and now you're reading about it in these old texts, you realize, yes, this is exactly what they're talking about. Mm. You know, you recognize it. So what it is, is you can say that let's say we're surrounded at all times by air, right? But we don't feel its presence necessarily. We, we feel its presence when there's a breeze, right? If you're right. sitting underneath a fan, then you feel this current of air flowing over you and you're reminded, oh yes, there's air all around me. Now let's make a comparison. We can say that people also don't necessarily experience the, you know, the omnipresence of God. People don't experience that they're surrounded at all times and even infused mm. by divine energy, right? right? They may believe that. Most people who believe in God say, yes, God is omnipresent, God is ubiquitous, right? right? But that's a belief. That's not an experience. So to experience that is a completely different matter. So I would say that transmission is nothing but when those currents of divine energy are directed towards you, it's as if all of a sudden you're feeling the breeze for the first time. You're reminded that, yes, this is real because now you're experiencing this divinity. And because of your experiencing this, you're experiencing the effects of it within yourself, which are sort of progressive stages of transformation right, in various ways. So that is the um, yoga transmission is, I would say, the essence of the heartfulness approach. And when I say you go to a trainer, it's because these trainers have been prepared to impart this transmission. 
when you come and you meet them, you sit down, you meditate, they sit down. You're both sitting there. What's actually happening? This transmission is coming. And you're meditating with that. That is the thing that creates such extraordinary effects. Right? And, you know, as I hear you say that, I suddenly had an insight that it's not that they have any special gift. It's a shared intention and they're holding that space. Is that a good way to put it? Yes, I would say I would say so. They've also been prepared uh, very um, specifically to be able to, you know, become a conduit for this. Uh-huh. Okay. Like it definitely is something which requires preparation. It isn't simply because they intend for it to happen, okay. or that you can. You have to be prepared. But having been prepared, then it happens automatically. So it doesn't. And it's, it's, it's one time of receiving this transmission enough that. Once somebody receives it, they can continue their practice on their own? Well, I think that the frequency and, let's say, for lack of a better word, dosage of transmission, I think there are certain recommendations, of course. Recommendations, you can receive it as many times as you like. You can receive it daily. You know, You can receive it once every month. Ideally, you know, you would expose yourself to this, you know, once or once a week or something like that with some regularity. But I would say, have, have we ever seen such a such a personality who would have one single exposure no. to it and would become a Buddha? Well, maybe we're still maybe so. Maybe there's such people there. But in that sense, it would depend on the preparation of the soul that's concerned. Right. If there's yeah. somebody who is so ready to be you know absolutely awakened in that way and all they need is just someone to just you know wake them up with just a touch you know mm-hmm. so then maybe they only need it once in their whole life but i would say the normal thing is that there's an entire we can say there's there's a, a there's like a we can say a, a pathway and there you know if you travel from you know if you travel from, from miami to Bangor, Maine, right? And you're going on I-95. You know that there's certain stations along the journey. And when you take that trip, you know you're going to encounter Washington, D.C. before you hit New York City, right? Yeah. So in the same way, there's definitely a map and there's certain stations along the journey. And you hit those stations in a very linear fashion, you know? Yeah. And so we go through all these different stages before we, you know, reach the destination. Beautiful. So I love be- how you teach in analogies. It's just such an easy way to understand these concepts. So we've, we're talking with Joshua Pollock today. He's the co-author of The Heartfulness Way. And Joshua, we're going to go to a break here very shortly. But when we come back, want to hear a little bit more about how you came to know your co-author, the the spiritual leader of heartfulness, and then tell us exactly what the meditation entails. Does that sound good? Yeah. Discover a new relationship and approach to life through the space between. Join spiritual teacher Brittany Mondito for a moment of silence a weekend workshop May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York. Everything we're searching for lies behind what we're running from, Brittany says. Reconnect with your inner sense of safety 
grounding, and centeredness. Learn more today at eomega.org slash thrive. You're listening to Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome back. You're listening to Messages of Hope with Suzanne Giesman. All right. Welcome back, everybody. I am so enjoying this talk. If, if you're like me, we're just ready to dive into heartfulness meditation. I, do, I have my own practice and I love it, but there's something about this that's just, it's, well, I'll tell you what it is. If you've read my book, Wolf's Message, the main reason that Wolf came through was to tell all of us that we're out of balance as a species and to get out of the head and into the heart. And that is exactly what the heartfulness way is all about, what heartfulness meditation is, isn't it, Joshua? Absolutely right. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. So just expand on that for a minute about what does it mean to get into the heart? So the heart is more than a pumping station, first of all. Right? Yeah. You know, there's so many aspects to this. I think maybe the easiest one to the best starting point here is to come back to this idea of experiencing the divine. Because this is something, this is a point of departure, or this is a next step, I would say. When it comes to religion, and there's, I'm not trying to say anything negative about religion, but I'm trying to focus now on the fact that so much of it depends upon belief. Right? Right. This this aspect of religion where um, its meaning is that I have accepted a certain philosophy or a certain belief, right? And I become committed to that belief. But then the ba- what backs belief is experience. So if I don't have experience, it'll be very difficult for me to continue supporting that belief because doubts will creep in. If the further away my daily experience diverges from what my beliefs are, then I'm going to on my way towards some sort of crisis, you know, of faith. So I need at some point to be able to have to something in my experience that says, yes, this is true, not just something that other people are telling me or that I'm afraid to say that to ask questions about it because I'm afraid of a hell or even that I'm tempted by a heaven, right? Mm -hmm. Something it has to resonate in reality. So you know, that's that's belief, right? Now, so if we're going to talk about experience, yes, we all want to experience the truth behind these beliefs. There's nothing wrong with beliefs, but what's the truth behind it? We want to we want to see that for ourselves. So this presence, this entity of divinity or God, right? Of which, you know, there are so many names for this entity mm-hmm. and so many different conceptions of this entity. Fine, that's that's okay. So what is it? Well, if we're going to experience it, this is something that we're going to have to experience through feeling because this thing can never be known. And the reason it can never be known is because it is beyond, I see the human mind only understands things through comparison, right? right. I can tell you that, that something is big only because I'm comparing it to something which is smaller than that, right? Otherwise, big has no meaning. It's a relative term. Right. 
even measuring something. I, I know something size because there's a standard of measurement. So comparison is also, you know, how I understand how I can define anything is through comparison, big and small, high and low, right? Yeah. Now, so the human mind, my point is, I hope I'm not rambling too much, is that human mind understands through comparison. It is relative. Human mind cannot conceive of an absolute on its own. It cannot conceive of the infinite. Because now we're talking about something when we speak of God, we're speaking of the absolute. We're speaking of something to which you cannot compare anything else. So therefore, there's no possibility of conceiving of it. You can't know it. It has no definition. It has no edges. It has no limitation. Yeah, so yeah. I got. I, I got. I have to butt in right here and tell yeah. that. But you're 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 building up to this big thing. Yet I know the secret, and you know it too. That 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 presence is it's always been right here. Well, that's true. It's just, it's just a matter of how are you going about it, yeah. right? So if you can't know it, the thing is, is that this can only be grasped through feeling. Yeah. That's the thing that I'm trying to get at. It can be known, but only through feeling, right? And feeling, well, now we're talking about the heart. Because when you love somebody, you know, it's, it's there in your heart that you feel that emotion. Yeah. It's there where you feel sad and you feel grief. Again, it's the heart, right? Whenever you feel anything, when you feel happy, even all these negative things, you know, all the frustrations and restlessness, mm -hmm. they're all felt in the heart too. So when people say, my heart's desire, Desires are felt in the heart. Most things that are present in our consciousness are actually present there in the heart. And the so heart, this, in that sense, is a center of consciousness. So this heartfulness meditation takes you to really getting into the feeling? Yes, moving from thinking to feeling initially. So that now we're perceiving through feeling. We're perceiving. So this means that you know the heart it almost becomes like an antenna. Can say a receiver. Yeah. So now you're perceiving through that part. So let's just jump right into this before we run out of time because it's so important. It's what makes the heartfulness meditation practice different from others. It has several different steps. Would you just quickly enumerate those and then focus on this one that's so different? It's called the cleaning step. Sure. Many people have never heard of cleaning in meditation. Yeah. Heartfulness practice, it has a few different aspects. One is, of course, meditation, which we've been talking about. And when we meditate, sometimes we get help from trainers, in which case we are able to meditate along with yogic transmission. We've spoken about that. Also, there's prayer. There is also an aspect of this. But there is something that is quite unique, which we call cleaning. And so this is what you're asking about. Now, what is what are we talking about? Is this any kind of ritual bathing? No, it's nothing like that. What is being cleaned? Now, oftentimes I would say that we create a lot of emotions. We have a lot of emotional reactions. You know, you can't always control things, obviously, right? Life goes on in its own way. Now. If we're going to, you can should, maybe you can ask yourself: To what extent does what is the way you think and the way you feel depend upon your external circumstances? You know, I'm sure there's a. You can ask yourself: What is the percentage, right? Mm -hmm. How, to what is the way I think 
in the way I feel dependent upon my situations, right? Now, you know, sometimes you can, you know, somebody can come along and you know, do something that's cruel to you, right? Now, if somebody, if somebody is a victim of somebody's malice, one person may just be able to brush it off and say it's okay. Somebody else will hold a hateful grudge for weeks, for months, for longer, right? Yep. So now we can see that that seems to be individual. To what extent is my quality of life ruined by negative circumstance? It depends on me, right? So I can see now that to the extent that I can manage what's going on inside, to the extent that I can manage how I think and how I feel, my quality of life is going to be better, right? I can't control everything that happens around me. But in fact, I do have the possibility of impacting my inner environment and creating a wonderful, beautiful inner environment, right? Yeah, yeah. awareness of our thoughts and our feelings and right. choices. Right, so this is part of that. So on a, you know, on a daily basis, we have so many emotional reactions, right? That means you have a positive thought or a negative thought, a positive emotion and a negative emotion. And it can be, you know, something really extreme. It can be exuberance or it can be hate you know, on the negative side. Mm -hmm. Now, what happens after this incident blows over? Does the emotion really go away? No, it, it doesn't totally evaporate. There's some emotional residue that remains within us. And the reason that we know that this is true is because later on, something can re-trigger an old emotion. Oh, yeah. Right? And because of that, we can see that this previous emotion that we had was sort of lying there in wait, you can say, in the subconscious. And all it took was for some external trigger to come along. And there we are, back in the past again. Right? I know so, so many people listening right now can identify with this. Yeah, I mean, this is a normal thing in life. And, and next thing you know, we're headed for the refrigerator or a bottle of wine or whatever, <laughs> instead of dealing with the trigger. That's true. And, and the fact is, it's not even the trigger that's the real problem, but the past experience, the fact right. that we've stored that emotion in the subconscious. We I call those impressions. Some, I sense some cleaning coming up here. <laughs> so that's, that's exactly it. So because of those things, we're always looking, if I'm talking to you and, and you're creating sort of a resonance with some past occurrence and some past emotion in me, right? Now, I'm not seeing you for the way you are. I'm not, I, I'm not really looking at you. I'm looking at my past. I'm looking at you through the filters of my past. I'm looking at you through the conditioning of my past. I'm looking at circumstances and people not as they are, right? So how can I say I'm living in the present? I'm not. I've been conditioned. I've conditioned myself in the past. So in order to truly appreciate people as they are, situations as they are, and recognize reality as it is, there's, that's not going to be possible unless I can in some way remove this residue, this burden of the past. So that's what cleaning is. It's a technique by which, you know, we can sit down and close our eyes and just, you know, can I say, fry up these old things, the, this emotional residue, these emotional memories, which are called impressions. You just remove these things. 
And, you and know, I, I had the there. opportunity in the villages that once just that one time that I experienced the heartfulness meditation with a, a trainer who, who is actually a psych, psychologist in the villages. Yes, I know. Uh, who, yeah, Dr. Pari is his yeah. first name. And uh, a psychiatrist who volunteers his time for this. It was such a simple practice, if I recall correctly, a visualization with like smoke just flowing through through the body and clearing out, cleaning out. Was it that simple, Joshua? Yeah, it's that simple. It, you see, the practice itself is very simple, but and it's something that we can do, you know, on a daily basis. And the proof is in how you feel afterwards. You don't need mm -hmm. to be convinced by all these things I'm saying if you just try it your sense of joy and lightness that you have will be enough for you to say yes you know yeah I love that it's very much like other energy systems like chakra clearing and that kind of thing so but it's like where consciousness goes energy flows right you see that's the beauty of the heart too we were asking about the, the significance of the heart I told you okay you can feel but that's only one thing the other thing is that everything that needs to be done within your system and I mean your subtle system you're talking about chakras now right mm -hmm. everything the whole entire system well you know if you know things about you know if you know chakras okay fine you know nadis or other aspects of you know there's the subtle body so many things right mm -hmm. all of those things are connected directly with the heart and anything anything that you do and the way that you act upon the heart, it'll have it. It will have its effect in all those other centers as well. Anything you do to the heart, it'll be reflected in every other chakra as well. So, the heart is really, really a key thing. You don't need to go and meditate and do things with a thousand other chakras because by simply doing something with that one chakra, the heart chakra, it's automatically done to all the others. I love that. So there, there's a simplicity there because it's the center of your entire system. That's mm. where all these sort of dimensions of being, they all kind of have a meeting point there. So you do something in one place and it has, you know, these effects all over. Wow. And that's wow. why this practice can be this simple. That is beautiful. Huh. That, that just gave me a really big aha moment. Ah, good. <laughs> Lovely. Uh, so sorry if I'm jumping around here a little bit. I could just talk to you for hours. I hope everybody else is enjoying this as much as I am. But uh, so we talked a little bit again. I, I keep calling him your co-author, and that must make you laugh because you wrote the book, but he's the spiritual leader of hundreds of thousands of people, Kamlesh Patel, also known as Daji. That's, what, what do you call Daji? Is it a nickname, a, a spiritual name? No, no, it's just the – I mean, I think in, he's – He's from India, and he's from the Indian state of Gujarat, right? So it's actually a Gujarati term, as far as I understand. It simply means uh, it's something like uncle. It's something like the father's younger brother. So it's just so, a nice, uh, uh, intimate yeah, term. Yeah, somehow yeah. people ended up calling him that for whatever reason. It's just sort of these people know him as that. But what I found fascinating is he was trained as a pharmacist and actually worked as a pharmacist in New York City. For quite a That's while, right. and then was called yeah. back to India to take on this position, and gave up all of that to strictly focus on his spirituality. And I don't want to steal your thunder here, but I just have to tell everybody: check out the videos online. Just there are a few that are only two, three minutes, and right away you feel his sincerity, his clarity, and his dedication, his love for everyone. It's beautiful. I'm glad you. I think you're absolutely right. I can tell that you've 
watch these videos because I think that's the first thing you do notice. This first thing you do feel, I think, is this sincerity of purpose. And so before I forget, we do need to, I don't want to run out of time. The best way for people to find out more about heartfulness, is it heartfulness.org or what do you suggest that's, besides, that's, besides your book? Heartfulness.org is one way. But if you want to just jump ahead and really experience this yogic transmission, yeah, I would suggest you download HeartSap, H-E-A-R-T-S-A-P-P, for iPhone or Android, right? Download this app. It's like Uber or something because the minute you want to meditate with transmission and experience this transmission, you just send, you know, hit the button, send the signal, and then some trainer somewhere in the world, doesn't matter, you know, in India or U.S. or somewhere, there's, you know, tens of thousands of trainers in the world, and they're all in this app. Somebody will receive this message that there's somebody somewhere who wants to experience yoga transmission. And within, you know, three or four minutes, you'll get a notification to start meditation. Are you and kidding? At home, no, you'll just sit at home and you'll be able to experience this right where you are through this do, app. Do you actually interact with the trainer? Are you aware of their no. talking with you? No, there's no interaction. You, okay. you don't even speak to each other. I, you, you just get the instruction to start and then it tells you when it's finished. <laughs> I, think, I think for people who've never meditated before, uh, when you first sign up, it'll link to a short master class where it teaches you how to meditate. You like it, wow. you know. And wow. then after that. I love it. It, it. Technology has just made everything so accessible and simple. Especially in these days of lockdowns. Yeah. Because now you can't go and meet a trainer without taking some risk, right? Because of the coronavirus. Right. Hopefully by the time many people are listening to this in the archives, we'll have a lot of freedom back again. But meanwhile, what yes. a great way to experience this. Huh. Yeah. Okay. Hearts app and heartfulness.org and best right. uh, on YouTube, just do a search for heartfulness. Yes, there's right. a heartfulness channel. And the heartfulness way, like I said, the book itself is just so readable. It's this just this really warm conversation. Why did he choose you, Joshua Pollock? <laughs> I, I really don't know. To be, <laughs> it's not like I was a writer before, you know. I mean, I was a musician before, so I, I I was surprised myself when he called me up one day and he just said, "I want you to write a book." Yeah, but and you knew him, right? I knew him, but I never expected he was going to ask me to write a book. How did you know him? I knew him. I think I met him on my first trip to India ever, which was in 2005. It was in the Himalayas. And in any case, long story short, I met him that time, but I didn't really get to know him until I ended up moving to India, having to do with my work. I ended up it's a long story. We don't have to get into it. But as a musician, I ended up uh, working and playing, teaching violin at a school for Western classical music in South India, and also playing in these Bollywood films. That's uh, cool. Life. So you didn't go there just because you were such a spiritual devotee, and yet look no, how I, it no, I got out. a job. <laughs> I got yeah. a job there, and I came. But that was the same. That was that town in Chennai in South India was at that time the headquarters for this heartfulness organization. But well. you had already done this after strangely meeting this person in front of a convenience store in Cincinnati or Cleveland? Yes. Oh my yes. gosh. Do you see the setup? This is a setup. Yeah. <laughs> Not only that, but I ended up living in the same apartment complex as Daji. 
That's what I'm talking so, about. <laughs> this is and spirit. So I, I kind of got to know him that way, especially because he had one of his sons was around my age and we kind of got to know each other. So I nope. ended up in his apartment a lot. This was before anyone had a clue that he was going to be the um, successor in this lineage. Really? So that's how I got to know him at that time. And then later on, he was announced as the successor in this lineage of masters. How did that and change his life? Did he leave the apartment complex? And like, what is it, what is his living situation now? His life. I mean, he's he lives in a, he lived in an apartment then. He lives in an apartment now. It's just in a different okay. place because the headquarters of the organization has shifted. So that that's that's the only difference. You know, somebody asked him. Okay, so. How is your life? How how how? Not just how has your life changed, but how is, how have you changed, right? Yeah, yeah. Now that because before, what were you before? Well, like so many people, you, if you look at him, you think, okay, he's a brother. He's another spiritual aspirant. He's a meditator. He's meditated for many decades, of course, you know. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden now, okay, now he's the, you know, lineage holder, right? Yeah. So they say somebody asked him, how have you changed? And he said, well, not so much because, and he said, if you already had, if you already were good, how much, much goodness can you add to that goodness? You Uh know what I mean? Nice. I mean, so uh, for him, I I don't know. But in terms of his living, I I would say that he had intended to retire, right? Mm -hmm. He'd been working in pharmacy in New York for, you know, since the early 80s. And... He, I think, wanted to retire and live a nice, peaceful life in the Himalayas. Well, and that changed. <laughs> he built a house there, and he intended to move there and just, you know, be live in solitude and peace and quiet. And he instead was not asked, I would say, to do this, but just simply announced as the person who would, wow. you know, as the fourth this lineage. He was wow. simply announced. Wow. And of course, they had to, I would say, bid goodbye to that dream. And I think he feels fine about it because I would say that this is also his passion. Oh, yeah. And, and what an honor. I need to, we're running out of time, so I'm sorry yeah. to rush, but there's a big question that some people, when they look, if they browse through the book, they're going to see part three is about the guru, the role of the guru. Now, we're just now talking about Amandis Daji, Kamash Patel, mm-hmm. who is anything but the vision of the guru with the devotees who fall at his feet and he loves the power. I don't see that at all with him. What is the role of a guru in heartfulness meditation? Well, I think the role of the guru, no matter what system you're part of, it should be like the role of, it should be like to help to help somebody go ahead, to help somebody move ahead. What is your definition you know, of a guru? Well, Teacher. the actual de- actual definition of guru, if you look at the, the Sanskrit word, it, means, it has two meanings. One meaning is dispeller of darkness. Hmm. That's one literal meaning of the word, is dispeller of darkness. Another, and you could also say, what dispels darkness? Can you actually dispel darkness? No, you just light a candle. So light dispels darkness. So you could say that dispeller of the darkness actually means bringer of the light, right? So is Daji the guru of heartfulness, or is yes, okay. yes, yes, and and other meaning is I think literally in the Sanskrit word guru, other meaning is big one. So. 
now what can we say? What can we say? That means that most of the time when you see gurus in this day and age, in this unfortunate situation, you see that a guru is someone who wants to receive things all the time. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I'm not talking heartfulness. I'm talking so much of the, these sad situations where gurus, they want, they charge fees. So they yeah, want we money. have two minutes, Joshua. Fame. Two minutes okay, left. Okay, okay. They want fame. They want love. They want attention. So, but big one, that means from something that's large, things should flow from them to you. Right? They should be mm -hmm. givers. They shouldn't be receivers. So a guru is somebody who is able to trigger that yogic transmission that I was speaking of. Who is able to somehow facilitate in a very quiet way, in a very uh, behind-the-scenes sort of way, to facilitate this entire process. The practice itself is simple, but the guru, like gold used to back currencies, the guru is the backing of this simple practice. Otherwise, it would just be a simple practice and it would be too simple to work. But I think because of the presence of a guru, a capable guru behind the scenes, this practice is so effective. And you don't have to actually interact with this guru. You don't have to have a personal relationship. They're just there. And because they're there doing their own work, the practice, the practice is what it is and its effectiveness is what it is. And that's up to you to discover for yourself. I love that. It's very freeing. You're not saying you must listen to him, you must follow him, tune into him. He's like no, holding no, that. No, no. Yeah. Your relationship is with yourself. Yeah. 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 So, with one minute to go, what is the so, most important thing you have to tell people about heartfulness? Well, you have to try it. This is the thing. <laughs> We can talk and talk all day. You know, the proof of the pudding is in the eating. I encourage you to to find it, you know, to you download the Hearts app or go to heartfulness.org and find a trainer. There's this place called, uh, on the heartfulness.org website, there's a section called uh, Heart Spots. And there you can look up you know, your own location and see and get in touch with somebody who's local. Get in touch with somebody who's close to you. Yeah, Try yeah. it for yourself. Have a few sessions. Nobody will ask you for anything. Nobody will charge you anything. Just see yeah. what it does and yeah. give it a chance in your life and and judge it. Really judge it, you know? Yeah. Well, Joshua Pollock, we're just so grateful to you. You can feel your beautiful, loving, peaceful energy and you've brought that to us and Hopefully everybody will have this experience for themselves. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you too. It's been a joy. Thanks for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. If you're inspired by the teachings of Dr. Wayne Dyer, you will love the Change Your Thoughts, Change Your Life podcast with Nadia Dela Cruz. You are a spiritual being having a human experience. My name is Nadia Dela Cruz, and I started the Change Your Thoughts, Change Your Life podcast to explore spiritual topics like manifestation and meditation with guests who share their own stories of insight, awakening, and transformation. Listen now on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network 
or wherever you get your podcasts.